Be a learner in just about everything that you do. Make that a discipline, mindful learning, if you will. Taking time to step back, reflect on an experience, think about what you learned and how you might do something different the next time, and then trying that and doing the same thing and get yourself into that cycle of reflection. What are the lessons I learned? How am I going to do things differently next time? That is huge in terms of you know developing yourself and your ability to be successful. Leaders face challenges every single day. That's why Udemy Business is bringing you a new podcast called Leading Up. I'm Alan Todd, the host of Leading Up and Vice President of Udemy Business. In every episode, I have conversations with guests who share the inspiration, advice, and research you need to level up. Let's work, lead, and live differently. Right now, leaders are grappling with economic uncertainty, employee disconnect, and finding new ways to drive growth. We could all use a little inspiration to help us navigate these challenges. That's why we have my friend Melanie Weaver Barnett on the podcast today. She's an expert in positive and purpose-driven leadership, and will share some tips on how all of us, and especially how women leaders, succeed in the workplace. Melanie has an impressive background. She's the Chief Executive Education Officer at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business. She's also the Executive Director at Unicon, the Consortium of Executive Education Organizations. So, Melanie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be here today. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. So, Melanie, the Financial Times of London ranks your exec ed shop number one in North America. This has happened consistently under your leadership. Then you lead Unicon, which is that whole consortium of exec ed. We go all the way back. You were an All-American distance runner at Michigan. You're in your bachelor's there, your MBA there. Just just start by telling us a little bit about that amazing journey. Well, there's actually a little story that I think in some ways illustrates an overall sense of, of my approach. And it's one of those stories that you laugh about with your parents later in life. But uh, in second grade, our teacher announced that we would be having a second grade student council. So the day came when we were doing the nominations and it became pretty clear to me I wasn't going to get nominated. And, you know, I took a breath and raised my hand and said, Miss Danielson, can you nominate yourself? And she looked a little taken aback and she thought for a moment and she said, well, I guess you can. And so I said, okay, I nominate myself. And then the election ensued and I won. So I became <laughs> the, the president of the second grade student council. And, um, you know, there's actually a corollary to my being selected for the role of chief executive education officer at Ross School of Business. No one was asking me to apply. But, you know, I stepped back and thought about it. So I thought, well, I'm going to put my name in the hat. I'm going to nominate myself. So uh, one of the takeaways from that, I think, is nominate yourself for things that you're interested in and passionate about. Don't be afraid to step up and, and do that. So I can share a little bit about my background, too. So I grew up in a very small town, but I had a pretty broad growing up experience as well. I came to the University of Michigan as an undergrad. And as you mentioned, uh, I was an athlete. So I came on a track and field and cross-country scholarship. I came here as much for the academics, though, as the athletics. And so it was a great school to do both of those things. And that was a wonderful part of my life. And so it was just a, a wonderful experience. And my best friends in the world are still the women from that team. 
When I graduated, I had qualified for the Olympic trials, and so I didn't want to get a full-time job. So I, I applied to the MBA program here and was accepted, started working on my MBA. Injuries thwarted my Olympic trials dreams. Um, I did qualify for the trials, but wasn't able to compete in the trials. So that sort of ended my running career. But I then lived in Richmond, Virginia. I got talking to a neighbor who happened to have a University of Michigan flag flying in his yard. And next thing I knew, I was being interviewed for a role at a Fortune 500 company there called Ethel Corporation. And I ended up working in their employee management training and development organization. And I knew this was kind of work that I really, really enjoyed. That was just a really good fit for me. I loved working with a team. I loved designing the learning experiences. I loved the front of the room role, et cetera. And finally, fast forward a few years, again through a neighbor who happened to know what I did and we had moved to Michigan, introduced me to someone at Michigan State University who was in their executive education area and I ended up with a role there. And then a year and a half later, an opportunity came up at Michigan and I was able to to win that role, so to speak. And I was at Michigan for 23 years. As you know, I'm just finishing up my time at Michigan and taking over as the executive director of Unicon, which is a consortium of business schools, international consortium, and everything Unicon does is focused on the non-degree executive education space. So research, conferences, benchmarking study, leadership academy, those sorts of things. So a couple key takeaways that, that are interesting, making your own luck. It sounds like that's exactly what you did under every circumstance. But I'm curious, how do you strike up a conversation with someone with a Michigan flag when you're in Richmond? I'm thinking about people that are early in their career right now. That That's pretty powerful. And it landed you a Fortune 500 job. How do you do that? Should people try to do that? The term that gets used is networking, and that can sound kind of mercurial or something, but it's really just getting to know people, being interested in other people. So I do think that networking, if you, for, for lack of a better word, can really do a lot for anyone in their, in their career and just in general in their life. You learn so many interesting things just by talking to people who have completely different experiences from you. Yeah. And I think we hear so much about networking, but but your very specific examples, striking up conversations and being interested in other people, those are really good sort of concrete examples about that concept that's, you know, build a network, which everyone is told they have to do. This concept of making your own luck. I mean, some of it is luck, but you do make your own luck, right? And it was more than just those conversations. It was the fact that I worked really hard to be an athlete, right? I was not a natural born athlete. I had to work especially hard at that. Coming to a place like the University of Michigan to get a degree, get a good education. So there are all kinds of things that you do. And I'm not saying everybody has to do it the way I did it, but you know, the things that you do now uh, matter a lot for the luck that comes your way way later. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So business leaders are struggling with the idea of the hybrid workplace. This is what I run into all the time, right? We hear it kind of every day and nobody seems to know how the future will unfold. Are they going to be back in person? Are they going to be remote? Are they going to be hybrid? I've heard you argue that there are some key leadership principles that we can all practice and they work whether there's a pandemic, before the pandemic, after the pandemic, like at least as we thought about, is there a thing called hybrid leadership? And I wanted to kind of unpack that a little bit. So can we start with talking through what are some of the the principles that you think are sort of inviolate? They, they're, you know, they're bedrock principles 
that don't change over time. Yeah, I like the way you're framing that up because, you know, we are all in kind of a uh, an unknown territory right now. None of us really know exactly how this hybrid workforce is going to play out, how we manage that most effectively. There aren't books written on it yet. There's not a lot of research on it yet. So we're experimenting and figuring it out. And I think it's true, as you said, that some of the principles, though, of just being a human being and being a part of a team and part of an organization still apply. And I like to go back to the principles of positive organization scholarship, something that was developed at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business by the faculty there. And, you know, having a framework in which to think about these kinds of things is helpful. And I love the the Kim Cameron framework, which is basically there are four core kind of strategy areas, if you will, in terms of creating a positive culture and engaging your employees and so on. And those four areas are positive communication, positive relationships, positive meaning, having meaning in the work, and a positive work environment. And so if you think about all the things that can happen within those four core areas, um, those are still important to people. The how of making those happen, I think, changes to some extent in this hybrid work environment. We learned a lot when we were all remote, so we can take some of those lessons in, and now we have to figure out how to do it in the hybrid environment. In the realm of a positive work environment, you know, you want to create an energizing work environment. You want to have a civil workplace. You want to have a place where people feel energized by the work. And I can kind of jump over to another faculty member here, Gretchen Spritzer. You know, her advice is give people wider decision-making discretion. This is not advice specifically for hybrid, but think about it. It matters a lot in the hybrid work environment too. We're all figuring this out together. Engage your entire team if you possibly can in how is this going to work. Another thing that I think is really important, and Professor Lindy Greer talks about this, the hybrid work environment can be very powerful. It has some advantages even over a fully co-located environment or a fully remote environment. Keep in mind, though, that it is more difficult to manage. We all see this on social media and uh, the idea that people can uh, can sometimes practice more incivility when they're more anonymous, when they're remote and nobody is looking them in the face, right? right? To some extent, that plays out in the workplace too. So it's because you lack the social context. So you have to be very intentional about what you mean by what you're saying and and sharing that and having uh, conversations that help minimize potential misinterpretations of what somebody's saying and the meaning behind what they're saying. So providing more information all the time, make people aware of how important it is to minimize incivility and to address any perceived incivility as as it happens. I'd love to go a little deeper in, you mentioned uh, Kim Cameron and positive leadership. You talked about creating an energizing workplace and energizing people. And yet what I read is lots of things about people being burned out and sort of ground down and and well-being, suffering and anxiety at all-time highs. Are there things that positive leaders can do to engage and energize people, their teams? 
Yes, absolutely. Let's just take that concept of meaning, meaning in the work. It probably is time to have some resets around that. You know, it's been a pretty tumultuous couple of years here. So let's recenter our organization around what is our purpose and why are we doing this work and what does it mean and what part do I play in it? People having meaning in their work matters a lot to the level of energy. Some of the things we just talked about, giving people more discretion in decision-making, making sure that everyone can bring their best self and use their strengths in their work. All of those principles apply. And, and here's the one thing that I think we sometimes don't talk about that's super important is make the workload manageable for people. Trust people in helping figure out what is a manageable workload because I think many of us ended up, myself and my team at, at Michigan Ross School Business included, ended up with too much work on our plates and um, a fair amount of exhaustion, if you will, and even some some burnout. So really addressing that issue proactively is important. Make the workload manageable. You talked about meaning, and I was thinking one of your professors, Dave Allrich, wrote a book, The Why of Work, about helping people find meaning at work. And Bob Quinn wrote a great book on the economics of higher purpose, and he basically did, did research that that found that organizations that that have a higher purpose, a purpose beyond just making money, that that they that there's actually an economic benefit to that. They actually outperform others. And you mentioned connecting people to to meaning. So I'm wondering if you could just give a piece of advice on how could a leader, frontline leader, team leader, how might they connect or reconnect the people on their team to the purpose of their work or any kind of tips or techniques or things that you all teach about how to do that. I think one of the most powerful ones is to somehow engage every employee in experiencing the end result of your product or service. So if you're an executive education provider, get everyone down into the classroom. Have the person that, you know, created the booklets, uh, the participant booklets and the materials and so on, come down and sit in on a bit of a session uh, and now introduce them to the group. I guarantee you they'll get a, a round of applause. So having your people experience the product or service that you provide as your customers are um partaking of it, if you will. Another thing is to talk about it often, right? To um, share stories. We love to talk about our purpose, remind ourselves why we're here as we're making some important decisions about what we're going to do and not do. There are always trade-offs, as, as we all know, in terms of the strategic priorities we create. So let's bounce that up against our purpose. We'll be back after a short break. Stay with us. Let's move on to a trickier topic. So women make up half the workforce, right? They're more than half of college graduates, yet they lead 6% of the top 3,000 organizations, according to something I read in Fortune magazine. And Forbes, I read something Forbes and I, I wrote it down. It's 2018, so I wrote it down obviously four years ago. But it said we're 217 years away from gender equality for leading businesses with females. How did you overcome these ridiculous odds, right, to lead one of the one of these top organizations in the world? 
Yeah. You know, I think putting yourself out there, going for it, if you will, being resilient when, you know, failures happen, all those kinds of things that are necessary for everybody, not just for women. I do think there are systemic things going on that have led to the situation that you just described. Of course, as you, you know, every level of leadership that you go up in organizations, fewer and fewer women are present. So there's something going on there. And sometimes people like to say, oh, well, women want to stay home with the kids. Women want to, that's their choice. There's perhaps a little bit of truth to that, but I think it's also true that a lot of women would love to have the opportunities to move up in the organization, even as they take care of things at home. And of course, more and more, the other partner in the relationship is often taking more responsibility at home too. We're seeing paternity leave and types of leave for both partners when there's a a child coming into the relationship. So in general, I think there are some things happening happening policy-wise and attitude-wise um, that are going to help with this situation. There's also research that shows how effective it can be to have a diverse workforce in general, let alone a, you know, a gender diverse workforce. So um, I heard Cindy Scapani say the other day we were, were talking with another group, you know, she mentioned a McKinsey study that said gender diverse companies are 15% more likely to outperform their rivals. Businesses with more women on boards outperform businesses without women in terms of return on equity, return on assets, return on ROI, et cetera. There's a Grant Thornton study that says that gender diverse companies have a higher return on assets. There's a Credit Suisse study that gender diverse boards outperform non-diverse boards. So, and, and, and another thing is there's a study that shows that companies that have more gender diversity have higher levels of compliance with ethical and social standards. So there's a lot of evidence out there that it's good for you as an organization to hire and promote women. There are several things systemically going on that lead to the opposite outcome. You know, we've all heard these things, right? You tend to think that uh, of all the candidates you're interviewing, the one that's most like you is the one that's going to be most successful in the job. That's sort of a human nature thing. We have to break ourselves out of that, recognizing, hey, the research shows that bringing more diversity of thought into our realm is going to be better. So there's an education piece to this too, educating people and, you know, setting some goals around creating a gender diverse and an ethnically diverse kind of workplace is necessary. It's the expectation of the company and you will be rewarded for it. You'll be rewarded for it in terms of um, typical kinds of rewards, but also in terms of better performance. Yeah, I love it. I mean, the the statistics feel overwhelmingly good when you, you just rattled off a whole bunch. Like, why wouldn't you do this? Because you've you've got like these enormous sets of benefits. But yet I'm just wondering how how is it that it's that we could write something down that says it's going to take 217 years to fix? Like, is there any way in your mind to fix this faster, accelerate this, close that gap? Are we even on path to close that gap in your mind? Is it happening? I think about the organizations that we're working with, everybody's talking about it. So that's a good sign, right? And almost everybody seems to recognize that it is something that's important. 
It's one of those things that has a longer-term payoff, though, right? So those are always more difficult to get action today on something that where the payoff is longer-term. I really do think the education aspect of this is critical. I'm going to urge everybody to get a book called The Diversity Bonus by Scott Page. Read that book, and there will be no doubt in your mind that you absolutely must create a diverse workforce in order to be the most successful organization. Unless the work you're doing is simple and routine, which it is for almost none of us, uh, you will perform better if you have a diverse workforce. So read that book. If we could get everybody to read that book and listen to Scott talk, um, you know, there, we, w- we would definitely accelerate the process. So I do think this education piece is important, helping everyone understand why this is important. It's not just the right thing to do, the nice thing to do, the socially responsible thing to do. It's also the business positive thing to do. Yeah, it's funny. It's kind of like the economics of higher purpose. You don't do it for money, but you do it and it is the right, it, it leads to a better business outcome. So so my final, my final thoughts on this, Melanie, are just your advice to young people. I have three daughters, all who are recent college graduates, 20-somethings, early career, right? Your advice to that sort of genre, that cohort of young female early career people, just to sort of close out this section, thoughts on how they might get ahead uh, in a so-called man's world? (laughs) You know, I think a lot of it is, um, or one thing I would advise is, Think about who you want. Think about who you want to be and what that means in terms of every aspect of your life, how you're going to communicate, what kind of career you think you want, and how you're going to go about making those things happen. Be a learner in just about everything that you do. Make that a discipline, mindful learning, if you will. Taking time to step back, reflect on an experience, think about what you learned and how you might do something different the next time, and then trying that and doing the same thing and get yourself into that cycle of reflection. What are the lessons I learned? How am I going to do things differently next time? That is huge in terms of you know developing yourself and your ability to be successful and role model the behavior that you want to see others give to you as you become a leader or a manager. Make sure that you are going out of your way to bring people up in your organization as well. Make sure you're um, giving people what they need. Everyone needs something different from you as a manager or a leader, and don't be afraid to treat people differently based on what they need. Um, Go out of your way to help the women see what the potential is and how they can effectively uh, move up in the organization if that's what they want to do. So I guess, you know, in summary, it's just being very reflective and learning oriented, addressing incivility and bad behavior as it occurs, and also sometimes just moving on and not being offended by something can be a very effective uh, approach to take. Yeah, I love it. So mindful reflection and learning oriented, having a thick skin, being intentional about helping others. Great advice that are actionable things that you can do tomorrow from Melanie. 
yeah, I think that whole idea of taking responsibility for it yourself, right? Don't expect, it's better not to expect that somebody's going to say, ooh, I singled you out. I want to develop your career. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you that. I'm going to ask for it yourself. Figure out ways to get it yourself. And hopefully you'll get some um, people offering you opportunities as well. But be assertive about what you want and how to go about getting it and bring others with you along the way. So final question to wrap up, and this is a question that that we ask all of our guests on the podcast, and that is, what are you learning now? Or it could be any, it doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be work-related, but just what are, you, what are you curious about? I'd really like to learn more about cooking, take some cooking classes and um, and get into that. And also, in my education, my formal education, I really neglected the sciences. And so I'm, you know, interested in learning more about um, astronomy and biology and some of the other sciences. So I'm going to be reading, doing some reading and taking some online courses just to, to um, educate myself in those realms. And in the more work-oriented realm, I want to do more writing and perhaps even get involved in some research. So research and writing are on the agenda for me when it comes to the the, the work realm and this field of uh, corporate learning. Beautiful. Well, I look forward to checking back in with you in the future to see how the research, the writing, the cooking, and the astronomy <laughs> are all going and see if we're making progress on some of these topics we talked about today. Absolutely. Yep. Melanie? Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Alan. It was a pleasure. A lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy. If you've learned something new, tell a friend about this show. Follow the podcast on your favorite podcasting app, such as Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. That way you never miss an episode. To learn more about Leading Up or how Udemy can help you close skill gaps and move business forward, visit business.udemy.com. The Leading Up podcast is produced by Udemy in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Alex McManus, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Carter Wogan. Our original theme is by Soundboard. <laughs>